I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to another episode. I hope that you're having a wonderful day. And before we get into the episode, I want to know one thing from you, which is how are we feeling about the catch-up segment? Do we like it? Do we want to go back to not having it? I enjoy it. Maybe I'll put a timestamp in the episode show notes in case you want to skip over it. But for now, we're going to keep it. And I want to hear how you're liking this new format, at least for the intros of the episode. I really want to get to this point with the podcast. In fact, I've always wanted to be at this point with the podcast where it's a dialogue. You are a really valuable part of my creative process, you being the listener of this show, because it helps me to understand what's resonating. And of course, I don't have to completely alter the way that I am expressing myself online based on how it's landing per se, but it really helps my creative process to hear your feedback, to read your comments, to read your ideas, to know what you're liking and what you're wanting to hear more of. So that is my invitation to you to participate in the conversation and the dialogue. Let me know how you're feeling specifically about the catch-up segment. And you can send me a DM. You can leave an anonymous submission in the show notes. There's a link. Or you can use the Q&A feature on Spotify if you're listening there. I don't know if Apple Podcast has something equivalent because I don't use Apple Podcasts, but it may very well have a similar feature to the one that I'm referring to with Spotify. So with that said, let's get into the catch-up segment today. What I'm reading hasn't changed. Last week I mentioned that I started the book Boy Parts, and I mentioned that I wanted something uplifting. What I will say, so far this is not it, and I posted on Instagram that I was reading this book, and someone responded and was like, a really dark read, but I loved it. And I was like, okay, wow, I am just really gravitating towards dark reads lately. So don't hold your breath when I say things like next book is going to be uplifting, but I really do want that. And now that I think about it, what I'm watching is also quite not uplifting. Jamie and I started this series, Top Boy, on Netflix. And I had seen this all over TikTok. I didn't know anything about it. But let's just say it's one of those series that, like, at least so far, we're only on episode three. Nothing goes right. 
everything is going wrong. I'm so aware of how every single thing that happens in this show will have a consequence and that stresses me out, but I'm enjoying it at the same time. I guess in the realm of what I'm consuming, I have reserved what I'm listening to to be something that's uplifting. I have been listening to The Broski Report. It's a podcast hosted by Brittany Broski, and it's been making me laugh. And that's very unusual because usually I don't listen to like comedy podcasts, but I have definitely been getting more into them and getting more into things that are just like fun and goofy. And I don't need to be focusing on like self improvement or productivity. And I've really been enjoying that. And then the other thing is, Jamie introduced me to a new artist, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, it's Westerman, W-E-S-T-E-R-M-A-N, all one word, and I don't know how to describe the music, I'm not very good at describing genres, but it's kind of just like, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna look it up. Okay, so I just googled it, and it's coming up as pop, but at least the songs that I've listened to, like his top songs on Spotify, are reading a little bit more indie rock maybe and just like relaxing jamie put it on when i was cooking and it was like the perfect playlist so that can help paint the picture of like what kind of music it would be that you'd be listening to while you're cooking just relaxing really nice vocals really nice instruments okay i i am realizing i'm really bad at describing music so i'm gonna stop but that is the catch-up segment for this week. So for today, we're going to be doing a very casual stream of consciousness style episode. And I like doing episodes that touch on several themes, especially themes that are very relevant to my life right now, because it helps me to determine if any of these themes weren't like a full standalone episode. Sometimes I'm sort of in the initial phases of reflecting on a specific theme that I don't necessarily feel like I'm quite ready to release a full episode, but it provides me with an opportunity to just touch on certain themes, also to weave in some life updates that I want to share. And so for today's episode, I thought that we'd touch on three themes that have kind of been floating around my mind lately, and we'll just see where that takes us. So the themes for today are boundaries, dreams and more specifically weird dreams and we'll also talk about lucid dreams and the fear of rejection. I want to start with talking about boundaries, exploring that a little bit. It's actually a theme that I've never really touched on to my memory on the podcast mostly because I feel like I don't know a whole lot about boundaries. I'm not well versed in setting boundaries to be honest and There's a lot out there from experts who talk about boundary setting that I think would go into this a little bit better, but at the same time, I think my approach with any theme that I've shared on this podcast has simply been to talk about my experience with something, and so I realized you know, that this was something I wanted to discuss, and it was as a result of my therapy session that I went to last week. And we're going to circle back to a theme that we explored in last week's episode, which was control and how this intersects with boundary setting. And in case you didn't listen to 
that episode, what I said in it was that I feel, especially in times where things are unfamiliar or there's a lot of change happening, that I understandably cope with it by trying to control certain things in my reality. Now, I don't know that I mentioned this in the episode, but the actual reason that I was wanting to speak to my therapist again after two years was that specifically there was a few dynamics showing up in different relationships that have highlighted this feeling of being out of control. And I realized that's an extremely uncomfortable place for me to be in. I'm sure I'm not the only one who feels that way. And my perspective going into the session with my therapist was more or less that I needed to learn how to be comfortable letting go of control. But something that I never really considered, interestingly, because I tend to be pretty good at looking at things from different lenses, was this conversation about boundaries. And that's kind of why I wanted to have this conversation with the therapist was like, I felt like I was missing something and I felt like I couldn't get there on my own. And it was just an unpleasant experience where I was putting a lot of the blame on myself and not really considering why I felt this kind of desperate need to gain that sense of control in these relationship dynamics. And Of course, like two things can be true at the same time. I do still believe it's important for me to work on managing how that desire for control manifests in my behavior because I think it's a natural thing to want some degree of control, especially in a relationship. But when that manifests in ways that are, I guess, creating a wedge, for example, or driving two people apart that's when I think it can become like an opportunity to reflect on our relationship with control. But I actually gained something from the conversation with my therapist that I legitimately was not seeing in the same way before. I feel like I'm being kind of vague because I don't want to like call out the specifics, if that makes sense. I know people listen to this podcast and It's not about putting the blame on myself or another person. I think interpersonal relationships can be a very interesting way to look at some of our patterns and heal some of our patterns and, you know, learn about ourselves. And so it's not to put blame on, again, myself or another person, but going into the therapy session I was looking at an interpersonal dynamic that was playing out and I was taking full responsibility for any tension. And my feeling was that my need for control was what was messing with the dynamic between me and this other person. And I was looking for advice from my therapist on how to become comfortable not having control or letting go of it to correct the tension that I was feeling in this relationship. But I even mentioned in the episode that we did last week on control that usually it comes from a very valid place. For example, wanting to keep ourselves safe or protect our autonomy. And yes, sometimes that can manifest in 
more extreme ways. But I wasn't looking at the full picture by not asking myself why I was reacting in that way of wanting to gain a sense of control. Prior to the conversation with my therapist, I was asking myself, how can I feel comfortable letting go of control? And what do I need to do in this relationship to, you know, take a step back and let go of control? After the conversation, though, I added a question to that reflection, which is, what aspect of my well-being and autonomy feels compromised in this dynamic, in this relationship dynamic? And then actually allowing myself to feel valid in my desire to protect my own well-being and autonomy through setting boundaries. And I think that what I'm realizing is this reflection is going to be even more important as I become a parent and as the need for me to consider my own well-being and to feel comfortable sort of protecting it, I think that will become more necessary that I'm able to have those conversations. And I felt like I was someone that was really comfortable setting boundaries in a lot of circumstances, but I realized through this conversation that maybe that's not the case, especially with certain people. I think there's a guilt there and there's a fear that they're not going to accept me for my needs. And so there's kind of two parts to it where the guilt comes from number one, having needs, and then number two, for communicating those needs and worrying that the person on the receiving end will be offended when I communicate my needs. So the narrative that I'm operating on here is that if I communicate my needs, it will push that person away. They'll be offended. They'll be upset. They'll think that I'm mad at them. And I don't want to push that person away so I won't communicate my needs. But then that creates this dynamic of resentment where this person doesn't know what I need and doesn't understand what I need because I haven't communicated it. And then I constantly feel in this position where my boundaries are being violated, I feel out of control, and my way of coping with that is to try to regain that sense of control even though I have never really communicated why that is. So I can have an understanding on both sides of like how not being communicative of needs can create this resentful dynamic, but it's also not to say that communicating needs will necessarily be what like heals the relationship either or makes it a good dynamic, for example. Because the reality is that we have to accept is that other people don't always react well to us communicating our needs. And that's kind of the fear that I'm operating on. But I don't have to then not communicate that because of that person's potential reaction, if that makes sense. And this conversation helped me to realize that. The fear that someone will find my need unreasonable or they won't understand it because they don't have that same need or they'll feel personally offended for example all of those fears may actually be true meaning that I think there are some circumstances where I 
create a sort of worry loop in my mind of what could happen, even though it's not really based in reality. This, I feel, is something that is a common experience. I've had the experience before where I've communicated a need and it hasn't been well received. So we get into the habit of not communicating those things. But this is about creating a new pattern and accepting that, okay, this may actually offend someone. This may make someone judge me or make them feel upset. But what my therapist helped me to begin to reflect on is the fact that that isn't my task to correct. Yes, I can be mindful about how I communicate boundaries. It doesn't have to be an aggressive thing, but it is not my task to manage someone's reaction to a boundary I've set or even to have to explain myself really. And this was actually really interesting for me to hear was not needing to explain things, not needing to provide a lot more than like, this is what I need. So like, nope, I'm not available at that time. And like, that's it. You know what I mean? Whereas I feel like sometimes I feel like I'm putting in a lot of extra energy to explain a boundary or to explain a need. And then I find there's two consequences of that is number one, sometimes people can poke holes in that explanation or find a way in. Or number two, it's just a lot of additional energy for something that can be communicated very simply. So that's where I'm at right now with boundaries. Does it mean that I necessarily am going to dive into having these conversations tomorrow? No, but it's about reflecting on the instances where I notice that I have a need and what is my reaction to that? Am I going to suppress it in order to make someone else feel comfortable or am I going to communicate it in a clear kind of simple way that isn't aggressive or offensive and create more of an understanding of my needs in my relationships so that it doesn't become something that I build this resentment around because those needs aren't being met even though I haven't really communicated them and going back to sometimes people get offended or don't understand it because they don't have the same need is that that is sometimes a reason I feel in relationships that people aren't automatically honoring our needs is because they don't have the same needs and that's okay And some people can be upset about that when we communicate it and won't understand it and will say, well, I don't ask that of you. And the point that I'm coming to with this realization and with this reflection is that's okay. We're all different and I don't have to feel guilty or needy or, you know, like I'm too much for having the needs that I do. And they may evolve over time. Maybe I won't have that same need for you know, personal space that I do now in the same way that I do now. Maybe that will evolve, but feeling comfortable communicating that, again, simply without over-explaining myself, I think that is something that is really going to be helpful for me. And like I said, especially as I enter this new chapter of becoming a parent. Shifting gears now to something completely different, our next topic of the day is dreaming and specifically lucid dreaming. 
And also a little update on some of the dreams that I've been having since being pregnant, because let me tell you, they have been very vivid. Now, I have always been a very vivid dreamer. Dreams have always been really interesting to me. I've had really cool experiences in my dreams that we'll get into, and I've had really scary experiences in my dreams. And one of the scariest things that I've ever experienced in a dream is this experience of sleep paralysis, which for whatever reason, I used to have it like way more in university. Maybe it was to do with my mental state at the time, which was not the greatest as we know. But I used to have this experience, if you don't know what sleep paralysis is, where uh, I could do a whole episode on this because there's so many layers to it. But I would have this experience where essentially my mind would have woken up to a certain extent from my dream or from a sleeping state, but my body was still paralyzed. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And I learned that you may want to fact check this. I feel like this is like going back a while. So like my memory on whether or not this is an actual fact is hazy. But from my understanding, when I was researching it at the time, your body is paralyzed when you're sleeping so that you don't act out your dreams and you're not like moving around and swinging in the air and, you know, hitting the person next to you. So what can happen is your mind kind of wakes up before your body does But also, and I don't really understand this part, but 
your mind can still be kind of in this hallucinating mode. And so that's why people talk about the quote sleep paralysis demons where they'll like see something. And it's kind of like this in between of being asleep and awake where you are kind of aware of your surroundings, you're aware of what's going on, but you're definitely still sort of mentally hallucinating a bit. And your body is, like I said, completely paralyzed. Now, this was the period of time that I actually got really interested and curious about my dreams. And in addition to sort of wanting to learn more about sleep paralysis and how I could not experience that so frequently, I also was having this really kind of scary experience where I would constantly be waking up in my dream, but I wasn't like it was just another level of a dream. And then what that led to was a period of time. Again, my mental health was not the best. Um, And at the same time that I was experiencing a lot of sleep paralysis, I was also experiencing a lot of falling asleep or excuse me, waking up in the dream and then eventually actually waking up and like for the first five minutes of being awake, I wouldn't be 100% sure if I was actually awake or not. And it was a really scary experience. And if you've ever had really bad anxiety, something that can come along with that is like disassociation and derealization. And this experience that I was having with dreams where they felt so realistic and then real life scenarios would play out in my dreams that again felt very realistic. It just made me feel very like kind of almost detached from when I actually would wake up. And so anyways, it it kind of led to me wanting to explore dreaming a little bit more and just understand how my waking state was showing up in my sleeping state. And I got really interested in kind of playing around with that. This kind of led me down a lot of different avenues of exploration as it relates to dreaming. And I honestly, it's been a while, so I don't remember a lot of what I was exploring at the time, but something that really stood out to me that I still continue to use is lucid dreaming. Now, I use it in a slightly different way now, but at the time when I was doing a lot of reflection and healing from my anxiety and, you know, also working with my inner child and whatnot, lucid dreaming actually was like such a powerful tool and I don't see it being talked about that much, but it fascinates me. And there's so many resources on this, but I'll just give like a brief explanation of how I used it during this period of time. I've always lucid dreamed, so it sort of came natural to me already, but I never was able to control the dream or to like initiate a lucid dream. But I actually want to say that it was Andrew Huberman who talked on his podcast about how you can process certain experiences or certain emotions in your dream without the sort of emotional attachment. So it's a lot actually it can be a lot easier to process things in a dreaming state. And that was fascinating to me. So I really wanted to combine this premise with, you know, the lucid dreaming stuff that I was looking into. And what I ended up doing was I 
found some techniques. Again, I would definitely recommend doing your own research on this because it's been a while, but I found some techniques that helped me to initiate and realize that I was lucid dreaming. And then I would use some prompts to sort of work through specific things that I was wanting to explore or to just gain insight to maybe aspects of my past that I didn't understand. And it was so fascinating. And I'll give a couple of examples. One of the coolest experiences, and I would honestly say a very healing experience that I've had in a dream, and it's happened to me several times, either intentionally or by accident, is to be able to interact with a childhood version of myself or even a former version of myself. So the age at which I'm interacting with myself, it changes. Sometimes it's been three-year-old me. Sometimes it's been like 10-year-old me. And I could honestly like cry thinking about it because what I was able to do in having an opportunity, even just in a dreaming state, to interact with a version of myself from my past is to be able to provide compassion for myself that maybe I was lacking at the time. And compassion and tenderness and recognizing that just like I am now, I was always just doing my best and having a lot of empathy for every version of myself and appreciating every version of myself and just like I said it's interesting to consider how my waking state influences my dreaming state what I was able to experience when I was exploring dreams in this way was actually what was going on in my dreams was having an impact on how I was feeling in a waking state and I actually although I haven't talked about it a lot on the podcast because to be honest, it's just such a, I don't know, I feel like I don't understand it. But this has actually probably been one of the biggest aspects of my healing is working through my dreams. And I said I would provide a couple of examples. Another example of this is one of the prompts that I remember learning from different resources on lucid dreaming was very simple. And it was just to in the moment that I realized I was lucid, ask, okay, what do I need to know right now? And observing the different situations that would unfold and just being able to objectively like witness what was unfolding. So one example of this was actually quite scary. I noticed that I was lucid and so I asked the question, what do I need to know? And a version of myself kind of appeared and it was actually quite scary, this version of me. And I think there's so many different ways that I could have interpreted this interaction. But I think at the time I was exploring shadow work and the different aspects of myself that I've suppressed and that I am sort of scared of on some level and in the dream it kind of felt like it was my task to just witness those parts of myself or that version of myself so you know in the dream I was standing in a public restroom I asked what do I need to know and from one of the stalls appeared this version of me that had like this really creepy smile and What I felt like I needed to process in that moment was like this version can't hurt me and I just can bear witness to it and be aware of it. And, 
yeah, there's so many examples of different lucid dreams that I had or just dreams in general that helped me to process something, helped me to think about something differently. I think probably because in a dream, our like mental constraints are no longer there and we're able to do a lot more in that realm. And so from a healing perspective and from a self-reflection perspective, and in my case, even from an inner child work perspective, that has been so powerful and I'm so interested in it. So let me know if you have any experiences. But the reason I'm bringing this up as a topic now is because my dreams have gotten so much more vivid and wild since being pregnant. And I just wanted to give one funny example before we move on, which is that I, last night, I've been having a lot of dreams about giving birth and unfortunately they've been very unpleasant and I don't actually mean like the birth experience has been unpleasant in my dream. It's always like the baby, for example, the first one I had, the baby was just like a demon and was trying to attack me. Another one, it was just like this little skeleton, like a Halloween skeleton. It was like clacking around and laughing at me. And then last night, it was like a little baby adult, like it had a beard, a five o'clock shadow and would talk to me like it was just talking in full sentences immediately. And I'm really not sure what's going on there and what part of my psyche is creating this experience. I've actually spoken to a few friends, even friends who don't have kids or don't want kids or aren't pregnant who have had the same experience. Um, So if you're listening and you're like a dream interpreter, I would love to know what that is because I don't really have any insight and I'm sure there are so many different potential like reasons why I could be having these dreams. But um, yeah, I find the dream interpretation really interesting. I don't always find that it's accurate, but I love to hear some theories. So let me know if you can think of why I'm having a baby with a six o'clock. Is it six o'clock? I think it's five o'clock shadow um, in my dream and what that means. Am I doomed? Okay, our final topic for today is going to be fear of rejection. Now, we've talked about this in different ways on the podcast before, but the reason that I want to talk about it today is because I'm having sort of a new realization and I talked to a friend about it actually and we were chatting about it and it made me realize like, I wonder if this is an experience that a lot of us have. So what better way to explore that and to gain insight on that than to share it on the podcast? I really want to be clear in how I articulate the reflection that I'm having right now because it I'm not sure if it makes sense when I say it out loud. But I had a friend over the other day who I haven't seen in a while and she's a friend who I was very close with during a period of time where both myself and this person were kind of excluded from the popular group in our class. And what we were talking about as we were like reminiscing on the dynamic and how hard both of us were trying to fit in and how desperate we were to fit in and how we would do anything to be accepted by the popular girls in the class even behavior that we weren't proud of, including like throwing each other under the bus because we were both experiencing this social exclusion 
and we had each other but also at the same time we were so desperate to fit in that we both kind of admitted in that conversation that we would have you know stepped on the other person's toes in order to gain some social standing now we never did actually get to that point with this group but we would have we would have if we could have is what we both admitted what i was recognizing was that the way i experienced this dynamic of social exclusion and being sort of desperate for approval and what i did to alter myself and alter my self-expression and who i hung out with and all of the things that followed as a result of wanting to be accepted it's a similar dynamic at times that plays out in my career now And I find it really interesting that I've chosen a career that basically relies on people accepting me and liking me and thinking I'm interesting to some degree. And I love this job and I love being able to, I just love it. I I love what I do, but at the same time, I throughout this whole experience have had to be so mindful of my relationship to it and noticing when patterns from childhood where I felt rejected are kind of playing out in my current reality and how I'm responding to that and you know what I learned from childhood was that I would rather be someone that has my own back, that has my friends back, that sticks with my people, that stays true to myself, than be desperate, so desperate for other people to like me that I abandon those things. I abandon myself. I abandon my self-expression, my interests, my way of being, my friends, whatever it may be, even my morals, just to be accepted by these people. And in my relationship specifically with social media, I think that is a very slippery slope. I think that because your livelihood depends on, again, this approval and this acceptance and this like kind of attention and people liking you, how do I respond when I'm not feeling that connection or things aren't playing out the way that I want them to? Am I responding in the same way I did in childhood by hating myself, by abandoning myself, by thinking that there's something wrong with me, by, you know, disconnecting myself from certain people, by acting in a way that I think they want me to act so that I'll fit in? And what I realized was from childhood again the lesson that I learned now when I look back is like it didn't matter what I did these people didn't want me they didn't accept me I wasn't ever gonna fit in with them no matter how hard I tried and in fact the harder that I tried probably the more they didn't want to be friends with me and in fact I know that to be true because that was communicated to me at the time and it's not to say that I have to like go to this opposite end of the spectrum by you know not trying quote it's just who am I doing this for am I is my perceived audience or my imaginary audience in my head 
representative of these people that are never going to accept me, who are never going to think I'm interesting? Or is it the people that really care about me and really want to hear what I have to say? And how does my behavior change if my imagined audience is supportive and does value my opinion and does care about my effort and does see me and does appreciate me, appreciate me, excuse me, etc. So almost like flipping, first of all, my imagined audience. And, you know, of course, there's going to be a mix of both in my audience. But knowing that that's who I'm speaking to. And I'm not speaking to the people that I have to beg for attention. And I'm not creating my personality around being the coolest, most popular, most interesting version of myself that the people that I think will like that will never actually accept. I think it's just so interesting to be able to look back and see sort of the same dynamics playing out, even though it was so long ago. I recognize that I'm still operating on this deep-seated need for approval and I still sort of on some level feel like I'm talking to people that are never going to approve of me and my reaction to that can sometimes be that I, I'm going to try harder and I'm going to try to win these people over more and it's just in these moments that I have the realization that I can create a new pattern and that maybe I'll still feel that fear of rejection or that fear of abandonment but I can respond to it differently and I can stay at the very least in my own corner and that's all I really can ever do for myself is back myself and be myself and honor my way of being and honor my self-expression and that is what I've repeatedly experienced is going to call in the right people who are supporters, who are understanding and who I don't need to beg to, you know, be here and listen. And so that's so many of you. And I'm really grateful for that. It's still very surreal to me to be in this position, especially like I said, I find it a really interesting full circle moment that this is the career that I've chosen. And sometimes I think that that must be on some level connected with my healing journey of I've chosen something that has the potential to put me in that same place, but how am I going to take everything that I've learned in my life and apply that to create a new pattern and a new narrative in my mind of what's possible and what type of connection awaits me and you know, to appreciate myself. So we're getting real sappy in this episode, but I think we're going to leave it at that. I hope that you enjoyed this format. I know it's a little bit more, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Free-flowing, but honestly, creatively, sometimes I need that. So thank you for receiving it. And let me know what your thoughts are. There was a lot of different themes that you may have different thoughts on so you are at this point aware of the avenues of sharing your thoughts so I will leave it at that for today thank you so much for being here and I'll see you next week 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.